Hi, I'm Dirk Friel, co-founder of Training Peaks, and you're listening to the Training Peaks Coachcast. I'll be sitting down with expert endurance coaches and amazing athletes, each with special stories to tell. At its heart, Training Peaks is about helping you create the best journey possible towards your endurance goals. We hope these stories inspire you to get out there, train with purpose, and never be afraid to sign up for that next big challenge. My next guest is Dr. Carol Austin. She is a medical doctor with a passion for endurance sports, having been the head of sports science, medical, and high performance for the MTN Quebec Pro Cycling Team, the first team to ever compete in the Tour de France from Africa, and hence, that means she became the first female ever to oversee medical and high performance for any Tour de France team in history. She is pursuing a new career track in the expanding field of big data, healthcare, genetics, genomics, and precision health. I hope you enjoy the show. Uh, Dr. Carol Austin, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for the opportunity. It's lovely to um, be invited. Yeah, you know, you recently spoke at our Endurance Coaching Summit, and you spoke on diversity within the pro peloton, and kind of kudos to you. I mean, you focused on racial and national diversity within the men's pro peloton, and really didn't boast about yourself. And so this is our time to really uh, kind of um, celebrate you and the, and the doors you've broken down as a female within pro, you know, the pro men's field and the, at the Tour de France level. You know, you've, you've had a really diverse background. Um, if people don't know, you are one of the first female coaches of a Tour de France pro team. You headed up uh, sports science at MTN Quebeca uh, team. And uh, do you know? Do you happen to know of any other females that have the same position in the pro men's field? Yeah, I'm. I'm not aware of anyone who's done what I have done. So heading up the medical and the sports science um, division of a, a pro level team. Um, and I'm. I'm hopeful that that you know others will follow. I really do believe that. Diversity at every level drives performance, innovation, bringing forward new ideas. And um, yeah, um, I certainly hope that um, this will continue. Yeah, I mean, you certainly are the very first. You are a pioneer. I did find, and I have worked with one other female coach at the Tour de France level. Do you know who that might be? Mm, No. There's a, a, a French-American, Marion Clignier, and she coached Boige Telecom in 2009 and 2010. She was the head coach of the Tour de France team, and that team is now Direct Energy. Amazing. Yeah, that was really cool. As of now, I know of two females that have been employed by <laughs> Pro Tour teams in, the, in those uh, roles. So I'd love to dig in and kind of see how you got that experience, what led to being hired by the team, um, you know, tell us about your background, you know, background in sports and schooling. Yeah. So um, I studied to become a medical doctor. And I think um, very early on in my medical training, we studied physiology. And in second year university, I realized that I had a great love for the subject. And um, I continued on, completed my uh, medical degree, um, ultimately joined the pharmaceutical industry 
And I think my interests there um, at the time and that are maintained, I've always loved data and mining data and gaining insights mm. um, into the world around us and particularly in terms of human physiology. Um, so, yeah, that career, which I started in South Africa, led me to a senior position um, in New York Pharma. Um, back in the early 2000s. And at that time, I was more of a runner than a cyclist and uh, really would spend spent a fair amount of my um, time before work and after work and on the weekends um, running in Central Park. Um, I did the New York Marathon and then injured myself and switched over to cycling. And at that time, you know, it was um, the glory days of U.S., cycling and Lance Armstrong and mm -hmm. um, met up with Chris um, from CTS. He came through to Wall Street and um, he was talking on the training um, that they were doing at the time and power meters. And that really sp sparked my interest um, huh. in the area of, of coaching. Um, so when I decided um, for personal reasons to move back to South Africa, um, I was married to a South African and the long distance relationship and commute became quite um, challenging. I decided to move back and um, engage with a new career um, with the hope of taking African um, talent to the Tour de France level. And I knew at that time that the only way to do that, that would satisfy my interests and passions would be to take the correct technology and know-how um, back with me. And um, it was then that I completed my USA Cycling Coaching um, courses. And I actually moved into Colorado Springs and um, did an internship with Carmichael Training Systems. Um, and, uh, yeah, returned to South Africa with the technology and the coaching background. And that ultimately... Um, was the beginning of taking the science of the sport um, back to South Africa. Um, and it took a number of years to, to really, I guess, um, engage with the community. There was, of course, you know, um, you speak to me being the only woman. I've never really, never really worried about that in my life. Um, I've kind of just gotten on with what I'm passionate about and um, just move forward. But there's certainly... When I arrived back, there were a lot of people saying, well, you know, this is interesting. She's come back. Um, she's got this technology. But there were even comments like, well, uh, you know, she's a doctor. What does she know about cycling? So it, it wasn't easy um, breaking in, if one can call it that way, to um, the coaching and training world in South Africa, which was in its infancy um, back in the early 2000s. But um, with time, I did, and ultimately in in 2007, that's when I met up with Douglas Ryder, and he saw the work that I was doing, um, and you know knew that would be a great opportunity um, as he tried to advance his goals to engage with me, and um, use that to to move the team forward. And it really took you know a number of years, I think. From 2008, we were a mountain bike, a road, a women's, a men's team, um, racing at the national level. We then stepped up to continental racing. Um, we 
engaged um, first actually in women's pro cycling with a, a women's team in the early um, 2010, 2009, uh, 2010. And then it was really in 2013 when the focus shifted to um, pure men's UCR road cycling and the team had the opportunity to move into Europe with the support of um, our uh, key sponsor, MTN. Um, yeah, and then um, things moved on from there. But without a doubt, you know, everything that I brought um, in terms of, I guess, intellectual property and the technology from the US, from Germany, Germany with Uli Schubert and SRM, um, it helped us to to really benchmark um, and understand what the demands of racing were and then prepare our African athletes' engines, per se, um, to be able to move our talent into Europe um, yeah, in, in 2013. So that's that's kind of the the story of the initial part of the journey. Wow. Uh, if I go back to the beginning of that, you mentioned, yeah, I decided to go back to South Africa and become, you know, a, a cycling coach, mm. which is a pretty drastic move, as you kind of alluded to. I mean, what was the impetus? Why, you know, it, it you know, some might see that as a step backwards, right? Like, go get a USAC certified coaching <laughs> license, go become, go become an intern for, for CTS, you know, and, you know, what, what really drove you there? Or what allowed you to even do that? Yeah, so I think I certainly did get that response even from members of the team at CTS at the time. Like, what are you doing here? Um, I guess I was following my dreams. And, um, you know, I, I really looked at what I could see in, in track and field, um, marathon racing, and was asking the questions, why not Africa? Uh, so that, on right. one hand, was one of the motivators, but I also, because of the opportunities that I've been offered in the pharmaceutical industry, I just knew how valuable opportunities, when they're offered at the right time to an individual, and how they can literally change a life. So it's it's also around creating opportunities for others. Um and being disruptive, I think for mm -hmm. me it's uh, quite a quite a lot of it is well, why not? Um, why why not? Um, I've always been focused on world level performance, whether it's you know in in any of my um, job roles that that is always the goal to be globally competitive. And um, yeah, I guess that's uh, that's it. Um, so, but yes, so it you, was unusual and. Yeah brave and probably a little crazy <laughs> <laughs> well you had a did you have a how about your support network that allowed for this yeah so i would say my you know i i was in a unique position um from a family perspective where um my husband was very supportive he was also um you know loved cycling that's actually how we met and um mm. So I had his support. Um, it was a it was a big shift, and it was a big it was a big change for me. Um, and as I say, I think the you know the major driver at the time was um, a personal one. 
um, and just, yeah, then, you know, looking at at what I could do that was big um, and a big challenge um, in going back to South Africa. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> what about, so, so you get back to South Africa, do you then say, do you start a coaching company? Do you work for a different company? Do you go to the National Federation? How did you, what's your first coaching experiences like once yeah. you get back to South Africa? So when I got back to South Africa, um, I actually continued to work uh, with CTS. And um, I did that, I think, for about a year, working with athletes right across the world. Um, and um, as I did so, um, I connected with, you know, significant talent back in South Africa and was, you know, asked to assist um I wouldn't say they were professional at the time, but um, up and coming talent and you you kind of network and you then through the opportunity of working with, you know, the, I guess the talented and the privilege of working with the talented, you learn and grow. And I, I, I think it's an important part of, it's an important question that you've actually asked um, because in the ECS, some of the questions that were coming through um, were from coaches that might have been in, you know, different countries or places where, you know, they they're looking they're looking to others. You know, how do we get into the pro coaching business? And I reflected on that afterwards, and I think there's talent everywhere. So take your knowledge, take your skills, and try and engage with the talent. If you develop talent, if you demonstrate through your work with physiologically talented athletes that you are a capable and competent coach you will get to where you need to get to so Mm -hmm. I think the key and that came through very very clearly in the panel discussion as well which was truly wonderful um, is keep it simple keep it focused on working from where you are with what you've got and using science to take you forward. I remember, you know, I think it was 2004 at the um, coaching conference in Colorado Springs that USA Cycling um, put on. It was the first time I was exposed to um, the Training Peaks WKO Plus um, platform. Mm-hmm. Um, Hunter presented it there. And, you know, it was it, it's it's going back with that knowledge. It was using the benchmark power levels for what is, you know, a national level of cat one, two, three racer, um, going back to the fundamentals. And it was all that simple stuff that actually helped us move forward, find the best talent, develop the best talent and enable it. Um, so I think, um, yeah, that, that probably summarizes the process. Um, and it, it does take time. I certainly am in a position now where I would love to share more of the learnings that we gained um, so that it could possibly, the process could be shortcut and we could get athletes and coaches fast-tracking talent a little bit more quickly. I think um, sharing of knowledge is, is very important to me. And so I think as I look forward to to the next phase of my my career, that's definitely something I'm feeling very passionate about and would like to do. Um, yeah. No, I, I agree that sharing of knowledge. We've we, you know we've certainly always felt. I mean, that's one reason why we have ECS and 
you know, and, and tried to bring it to as many coaches as possible. Um, but yet you, again, you go back to South Africa, T- tell us more about the culture of coaching at that time in South Africa. You, it, it feels like you're, you know, this is another pioneering moment of mm. changing the coaching culture, not, not just, you know, the female coaching culture, yes. but coaching period. Yes like within South Africa, what was that like at that time? And that's just a few years ago. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it is just a few years ago. Um, you know, to, I'm sort of trying to <laughs> access those memories. Um, right. I was most definitely the only qualified, as in a UCI qualified coach um, back in South Africa for quite some time. There were no coaching courses um so coaching mm. was probably done to a great extent by you know cyclists who had had cycled themselves and then were passing the knowledge forward but there was no use of power meters there was no use of technology there was um you know it certainly wasn't um it was I guess fundamental sort of skills based coaching. Um, and I mean, even back at that time in the US, you know, power meters were not something that everybody had access to. I think that's been a fundamental change in cycling over the last 15 years for everybody. Um, so, yeah, it's. Um, I, I certainly was a pioneer in that. And I think there was. I, uh, not not skepticism, but um, it was quite challenging, kind of getting in there and having to connect with athletes and connect with those that had been cycling and been involved for say the past thirty forty years. Um, you know what what are you really bringing to the sport? You know um, skepticism, and you have to overcome that. Um, um, yeah. And and so then somehow you develop your network and this guy Douglas Ryder comes into your circle. How, tell us about, you know, the importance of Douglas or how that developed and, you know, created your position at, at MTN Quebeca. Yeah. So um, I think I met Douglas um, and Nikki Ryder socially um, through cycling with a club and, um, you know, then we had obviously started talking and he was interested in the technology and in late 2007 he invited me to do a or be involved in um the 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 team at, that he had at that time um the South African National Championships um and it was essentially just the time trial we put SRM power meters on um the athletes bikes and um I did an analysis and provided him with a report out of that and um, that was the beginning. Um, in the early days the team was um, you know it wasn't funded like it has been in more recent years. So I came on board I would say more as a as a partner and a, a, a believer. He always referred to me as the sidecar. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um yeah i mean the first year that um i was involved with the team i took all the the funds that were allocated to me and i bought srm power meters so you know that was the level of passion that i had about the team and um driving the technology and we were also one of the first teams i think in the world to um 
access the retool um, technology. Bought one mm-hmm. of those kits very early on. And it was a lot of a lot of investment um, from my side and and partnership and yeah, um, that sort of grew out. I certainly connected him with Training Peaks, and um, they you eventually came on board as a as a sponsor of the team. And um, that technology has underpinned um, the work that we've done for yeah that we did for for the majority of the years um, or all the years that I worked with the team. Um, yeah, so that that uh, and I think the the relationship kind of with Douglas and the involvement with the team um, grew organically as the team grew. So um, you know we started off um, in two thousand and eight at a certain level, but yeah, the commitment grew and grew, and the size of the team grew as well. Um, initially, it was simply me covering the health and the the coaching aspect. So, you know, if the doc, if their riders needed to engage with a doctor, they would be referred to one of the sports medicine physicians. But I was coaching all of the athletes, um, you know, mountain bike road, women, wow. men. Um, but I think it was back in 2012, 2013, that was the first time I, I brought on another coach um, in the division. And then that grew. Um so that by the time I left at the end of 2018, we had um, PhD sports scientists, um, and I think there were a total, yeah, five five of them, and we had I think eight medical doctors that were working with the team at that time. Wow. So I think again, you know, it's an iterative process as the team grows, as the performance um, develops, as you're able to engage more sponsorship with time and move up in the levels, um, the program grew and um yeah i think we did we did really good work and uh, there was a lot of groundbreaking going to the first tour de france we'd never done a tour de france before and we went as a wild card and it was incredible um you know second race day being overall second team in the tour de <laughs> france um right unfortunately we lost louis mankey's um in the following day due to illness so we finished up fifth overall but um, yeah, the science got us a long way. <laughs> well, so you—it's like you had this blank slate back in South Africa, where you could mold it and be—you could make yeah. it, you know, your vision. So in a way, I don't know—I don't know how much resistance you had, or it was just because you teamed up with Douglas Ryder, you—you—you you, you could just create what you wanted. But then, as you mentioned, you make the jump from South Africa to, you know, your Europe with all of its tradition and the Tour de France being obviously, you know, male dominated. So mm-hmm. h- how about any resistance with fr- coming from their tradition of the Tour de France and the, and the world tour? What was that like at the hotels and, or any other, you know, meetings where you might be the only female? Yeah. So I, I think in the, in the early days of the team, you know, a lot of that feeling of being included and inclusion, um, which I spoke to um, a couple of days ago, is driven by the team culture or the company culture in which you work. And um, mm-hmm. certainly we, you know, with my colleagues, um, I did feel that there was mutual respect. Um, there was a place of belonging. There were things that 
I brought as an African, as a scientist, as a medical doctor to the party and respected in return, you know, the DSs that brought their, um, you know, one of them, I think one of the maybe unsung heroes of this team or not recognized enough is Jens Lemke, um, a DS who really engaged with us, with our passion um, in the very, very early days of the team and, and helped us jump the gap and transition successfully into um, Europe. And I've, I've never been one to look for problems. I generally am a solution-based person. So I think, you know, moving into that world, I didn't see myself as a woman. I just saw myself as another person on the team that had a role and function to play. Um, and gender it didn't feel like it was a, a big issue to me. Um, we were all in this most unusual outlier team and we were kind of all in the boat together because, yeah, um, we were all very unusual being an African team to start with. So, um, but, you know, as time goes on and as you, as you work in the world, um, not all members of your team, you know, necessarily see things the same way people come and go and, I would say it was much later in my involvement with the team that I I really felt um, just or noticed that I was a woman doing something in a male-dominated Eurocentric world. Um, and it's simple things, I think, when you, when you move into that world. Um, the last Walter that I was involved was 2018, which was a very successful one for us. We won two stages just the one morning walking into the breakfast room and you're in this hotel with three teams and I looked up and I looked around and out of the 90 people in the breakfast room, I'm the one woman. And um, yeah, um, I think from, from the perspective of racial diversity and inclusivity, it's helped me really deeply understand what it feels like to be the one black athlete at the pro at pro and world team level right now there are only nine right. black athletes and you know what it feels like for them when they walk into the sport and when they're in the sport and um they're just we're all just so happy to be there and you don't kind of rock the boat but and you let things slide and you let things pass because you're just grateful to be there um but i think there's a lot of opportunity for change and change that's that's really good for everybody i think you know more women in the sport um women bring a different way of thinking they bring different expertise and it's not necessarily even because they're women they're just different people with different backgrounds um so yeah um i think it was only much later in my work with the team that I, I maybe was more sensitized um, and perhaps it was also because it was more directed that I, I, I noticed, <laughs> I noticed yeah. that I was an outlier. <laughs> right. Right. Um, yeah. So if we bring it back to endurance coaching in general, um, you know, coming from the U S perspective, you know, here at training peaks, uh, we have uh, Training Peaks certified coaches, um, and at the level two out of 300 coaches, we have 67 female. And I think I've seen a statistic where maybe only 20% of you know cycling triathlon coaches are are women. Um, so 
us as coaches, though, you know, coaches that are listening to this, how can we do a better job of outreaching and making it, you know, a more welcoming place? Um, any words of advice for, for coaching businesses out there um, that want to, you know, bring in more women into this profession? Yeah. I would say, you know, engage with the women that are in the profession first. And, you know, I think it's about being curious. It's this, this podcast, you know, what brought you here? You know, why are you here? What is, what is it that, you know, makes you interested in this career? And I think through those types of conversations, you learn about each other and you also learn that you actually have a lot in common. And, um, you know, the fact that you've, you know, you're male or female or black or white or whatever racial group um, is actually not so important. It's, it's, it's just you actually have a great deal in common. And I think creating an inclusive environment for women that are in the sport already now um, will encourage other women to to um, join them because yeah, people speak to each other and invite each other in. And if, if they say, look, it's an incredibly welcoming environment, um, you're probably more likely to pursue a career. I think through my research that I did in preparation for the ECS, um, it's just phenomenal work that the UC UCI has done in the last six years in women's cycling. Uh, the size of the oh, pro yeah. peloton has doubled. And that's massive change and massive opportunity. And, um, you know, woman coaching, woman or woman coaching, being coached by men, I think there's opportunity for both angles. And um, it's like teachers at school. Um, my daughter really enjoys working, you know, with male teachers and female teachers. They bring different aspects to the to the party. And I think the same applies probably for, for men. Um so I think it's just, you know, try and make your environment as inclusive as, as possible and be be curious, be curious. Um, I'm, I'm sure you'll, <laughs> you'll, you know, gain a lot of insights and, yeah, um, there's plenty of opportunity, I think, in coaching. I think um, if we look from a health perspective, re recreational perspective, um, yeah, it, it doesn't need to feel like a threatening you know, a threatening issue. It's it's really something that's exciting and yeah, should be embraced. Yeah, I, there are some takeaways from ECS. I remember Alison Desir. She was. Did you, I don't know if you happen to see that presentation, yes. but she spoke. She spoke about the difference between anti-racist and being a non-racist. And what I took away from that was being anti-racist is you know calling out. Yeah. And, and sort of being proactive when you see it. Um, and then I saw, I believe it was Holly Sears wrote, or she spoke about getting more females into coaching. Mm. And she spoke of an experience where she organized, she actually outlined a, a, effectively a training camp. And when she showed up, you know, another coach asked her to take care of the young kids program mm. and have her husband, who wasn't a coach, take care of the racers. Yeah. But she or she's the one that outlined the curriculum and created all this. And that's a, a moment where you can call that out and it's like, you know, 
Yeah. You know, if someone was there to know about that, I'd be like, hey, Holly, she's she's driving the boat here, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> Get, you know, and just like calling it out, like these these obvious yeah. biases that 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 do happen. Yeah. And it you know, the female coach isn't the one that should just take care of the the junior program. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think it's um, you know, it's it's the calling out. I find I'm often in those situations, I'm so shocked that I don't react quickly <laughs> right. enough, actually. And, um, uh, you know, I, it's, um, but it leaves me thinking afterwards. And then, you know, the next time around that it happens, um, you in a better position to respond <laughs> more quickly. But right. yeah, I think all of us have to reflect on those biases and it's simple things, you know, yeah, I guess, you know, that we, we, we all do need to address and yeah. Um, yeah, that sounds like a very no. shocking experience. Um, exactly. We well, we all have our own personalities yeah, too. And yeah. you're, you're more of a yeah. quiet, you know, reserved, and yeah. you find your moment to to cause the shockwave. Yeah, I, th- I think it's. I mean, I've spoken to a number of athletes in the context of pro cycling. I'm probably quite similar to, or was quite similar to, the very small number of black athletes, and you tend to to not call things out because you feel vulnerable. And, um, you know, that, that's, um, that's a problem. And I think we've got an opportunity now for all of us to, to step forward and do more of the calling out in a way that somehow creates a better insight into what we're all of our prejudices that we do have um, without being too confrontational. I think it's, yeah, it's calling out's not an easy thing to do in an elegant yeah. way. <laughs> but it's a, it's about the culture. I mean, yeah. you mentioned UCI made has made great progress yeah. in in women's cycling, which is true. But yet, on the racial side of diversity, yeah. you know, they you you could certainly say they have barely done anything. And there's examples of where folks haven't really not much punishment has happened, right? Mm. Um, but it's creating that culture to allow that to be called out and to. Yeah you know, yes, this needs to be punished, you know, because that's the proper thing to do. And so we have certainly more work to be done there, you know, at the elite level. And in my research for this, when I was researching and I, and I, you know, knew about Marion Clinier back in 2009, becoming the first coach, I found message boards where she was completely bashed and I was amazed at what I was reading. And, but some males did chime in on the message boards and, and defend her, you know, and that was, that was great to see. That was 2009 and she had to put up, I don't know if she even saw those message boards, but if she did that, that's a tough thing to take on. Yeah. Um, so it's that culture of change. Absolutely. And it's difficult. I mean, reflecting in on that, I certainly at times within the team, there were individuals that Absolutely. I felt the prejudice. I felt, um, I felt not, I felt like I did not belong there, at least from their perspective as to how they perceived the world. And, um, I called out and as soon as you start calling out on things, um, Mm. if you're a lone soul, (laughs) um, it's, it's pretty difficult. It's pretty difficult. And, um, you know, I think I always also just you know, it's um, it's about recognizing simple microaggressions that you know others won't perceive. Um, in my te- 
time with the team, um, the woman in the team had to wear men's clothing because, you know, we were provided huh. with team kit and you'd walk around in your your sacks. Polo, <laughs> they were just polo like sack like clothing. Um, yeah, endlessly. But again, you were just so happy that you got team clothing. Oakley came along and um, created an entire woman's team range of clothing for the support staff. And it was so appreciated. And it's only when you, <laughs> when you kind of live through that, that you realize, Hey, this hasn't been right for a very long time and it's not right. And it's not even right for the clothing brand because their brand really doesn't look great on, them, on <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> as, as great as it could be. So there's a good commercial, right. um, you know, reason for, for making these changes, but it's, yeah, I think as as we as we move into the post-COVID world, as we move beyond where we are right now, I think we we all need to be sensitive, and I think we do need to call things out. And um, I'm certainly at that point now where I I also I think we need to call things out, um, whether it's gender related, um, you know, I think yeah, or racially related, and. Um, but I'm I'm also in a different place right now in my life and career, um, where I don't feel potentially vulnerable, um, and so yeah, it's yeah. maybe a little easier for me, me to do that in this environment. Well, you've certainly, you know, opened up doors for others as a yeah. pioneer. So yeah. much appreciated. Um, where are you uh, wanting to take your career next? And you're back in New York City, right? Yeah. So I moved. Back to New York City in September. I still have um, a home in South Africa and, and, and ties there, but um, I'm really excited actually, I think on two levels. Um, as I said initially, the I have a great and deep interest in, in medical data and scientific data and um, did a postgrad degree in epidemiology. So it's just really been extraordinary, the science that's happened in the last eight months around COVID. And I certainly have interest and excitement there. Um, I have been doing a, a little bit of, I guess, uh, continued education through Stanford University and their genetics genomics course, um, which was also fascinating. And um I think we'll have to wait and see where I move forward to. Um, I continue to be super passionate about cycling, um, and I think exercise and its role in in medicine from a health perspective. Um, I trained last year for the Trans Alp, and just seeing that at the age of 50 um, through structured training, I was actually able to get myself back to putting, putting out powers that I was doing in my mid thirties. Wow. Um, and, you know, it's, it's incredible to actually see how the human body can adapt. So epigenetics is an area that I'm really fascinated in. I think um, exercise is critical in terms of um long-term sustainable human health. Um, so those are areas that I, I am interested in. But um, I'm also very, continue to be very, very passionate about um, pro-level cycling and the development of talent and um, this racial inequity that we see and the loss of opportunity. Um, I, I truly believe that by diversifying the sport, and it becoming more inclusive, um, we'll see 
a new era in cycling, a new area of human performance. Yeah, also, I think it's time for the sport at the highest level to change. So I'd like to see um, um, the top nations, you know, being France, the Netherlands, Italy, Germany, the UK, USA, Spain, um, really engaging with the African origin and not necessarily just African origin, but the minority group talent um, that are within their communities um, and developing them. So my hope is that, you know, in New York City, I arrived back there 20 years on, there's a massive um, cycling city now. We've got city bikes, Mm -hmm. um, access to, to learning to ride a bike, access to riding bikes routinely in daily life, um, you know, all the bike paths that have been set up, the number of people that are riding bikes of, of all different cultures, um, Black Lives Matter arrives and you see increasing interest in bikes. And I hope to, to, to engage with that and see what I can do based off everything that I've learned out of Africa, um, what I can contribute um, here in the US to to really diversifying the peloton. And so I'm, I'm really excited. Um, I think things are very tough right now in New York. We're going into our next wave um, of COVID. Mm-hmm. But come the spring, um, I think there will be opportunity. And um, yeah, whatever my next career might be from a scientific perspective, from a med- medical perspective, I think um, – my heart is in cycling and it continues to be and I will would like to continue to contribute um, to the development and diversification of the sport. Absolutely. There's immense untapped talent out there yet to be developed. And I, you know, I think about Grand Fondo, New York, and mm. I, I'm sh- that that looks, you know, that's very diverse and such a great, great event that can be modeled in other places. So yeah. Uh, wow. We have to, unfortunately, wrap <laughs> things up. I, you know, and I have, and I have to say from a personal perspective, it was, it was, you know, great to work with you in the past with, with the team. Um, and I've been to South Africa. I, I raced the Cape Argus and the Ironman South Africa in mm-hmm. Port Elizabeth and would encourage anyone to go back there and, and support that community because they are amazing events. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Carol, thank you so much. How can people uh, follow you if they have any questions or learn more? So um, they can connect with me either through um, Twitter. I'm not very active there at the moment um, or through LinkedIn. Um, Just connect with me and um, yeah, that would be lovely. Super, super. Thank you so much. I'm sure people got a lot of great takeaways from this. Very uh, inspiring. And thank you so much for being uh, one of the first pioneers for us. Thank you so much. Thank you. As we wrap up 2020, I want to thank you for tuning into Season 2 of The Coachcast. We will take a few weeks off from posting any episodes and then launch Season 3 in January. Please subscribe and add a review, which helps us grow our audience and reach more aspiring athletes and coaches. Get out there, train with purpose, and see you in 2021.